You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, but the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. It's season preview time on the NBA Beat. With Lauren Lee Chen, I'm Aaron Fishman. And this time we'll be joined by Colin Ward-Henninger of CBSSports.com to break down the Western Conference just ahead of the 2017-18 campaign. Be sure to look out for part two of our season preview, where we traverse the Eastern Conference with NBA Digital Sekou Smith. That'll come out Tuesday. Also, a quick reminder that I interviewed the nation's Dave Zirin last week on NBA activism in the age of Trump and Black Lives Matter. I hope you enjoy that. In the meantime, Colin helps us understand the West with a special focus on many of the new-look squads vying to challenge the fearsome Warriors. Before we begin, let's rattle through some Colin Ward-Henninger fun facts. Let's see... Colin's basketball number 42 is retired by his high school. Later, in an adult league, one-time Seattle Supersonic lottery pick Robert Swift dunked on him. Colin, a right-handed pitcher, also played for Yale and went on to make a brief two-week appearance in professional baseball with the Chico Outlaws before he was cut, freeing him to get his journalism on. Colin gets his journalism on more right here. Hey, Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Aaron? Good to be here. We're glad to have you. We have a lot to talk about regarding the Western Conference. This might be a little bit of an open-ended question for you because, as you know, so much player movement across the league, Western Conference as well, so many stars headed out West. But if you had to pick just starting out right now what do you think was one of your favorite storylines this offseason oh i mean it had to be the the Kyrie saga the whole request in the trade that that seemingly came out of the blue at least to me i mean i i guess there were rumblings that he was upset beforehand but i i wasn't aware of that uh to go from a team that's made three straight finals and won a championship to requesting a trade and then being traded to the team that you played in the conference finals the previous season and being traded for someone who became a local folk hero. Uh, I mean, that move just, just completely floored me. I I had no idea. And then there was the whole saga with, uh, you know, is the trade actually going to happen or is it not? How hurt is Isaiah? So I think that was, that was peak NBA drama over the summer. So much drama, unprecedented to have the star players from each of the two Eastern conference finals teams to swap places and now with the whole Isaiah Thomas hip injury lingering, so much to pay attention to. And that affected a lot of teams out West to Phoenix Suns and, and many others were rumored to be Kyrie Irving suitors. So much craziness with the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets adding a lot of talent, the Clippers overhauling their roster, Timberwolves bringing in Jimmy Butler. Was there th- anything in the West that stood out to you particularly? Yeah, the uh, the Chris Paul trade. I was with my parents somewhere in San Francisco, um, just visiting, and then that went down. And I was like, "All right, I got to grab my laptop." So uh, when when Chris Paul got traded 
to the Rockets. Uh, not only does it signal the end of the the Lob City era, which was already kind of over in uh, L.A., but it also turns the Rockets into, you know, what could potentially be a, a contender for the Warriors this year. Our resident Rockets fan, Lauren Lee Chen, is paying close attention to the Rockets situation. <laughs> so we'll get more into that a little later. One also thing that stood out to us, at least, was how so many West teams are stocking up to challenge the Warriors. It's not this defeatist mentality where they're just trying to wait for the Warriors moment in the sun to kind of pass them by. They're attacking the challenge head on instead of opting to rebuild and just wait it out. There are a lot of teams, I think, that fit that description. The Rockets and Thunder, as we mentioned before, Timberwolves too. You could argue the Nuggets also with what they're doing. So what is your take on that? If if it's refreshing to see all those teams in the West make those moves, if you think it's futile, maybe a combination of the two? It is refreshing. Um, it, it, uh, to be honest, it surprised me a little bit, uh, particularly the Thunder. I think they kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people. Um, but at the same time, I, th- I think it's the right thing to do because the Warriors aren't going anywhere. You know, they're, they're young, their core is committed. You saw already Durant's willing to take less money. Clay said he's going to be willing to take less money. So this isn't something that you can wait out. This team's going to be good for, for five or six more years. So if you're sitting around just, just playing 500 ball, hoping to, or, you know, you start tanking, hoping to get a draft pick, uh, it's going to be a long haul for you. So, you know, Daryl Morey's got the, got the stones to make a, a big move and, uh, you knew that was coming. Uh, the Thunder really came out of nowhere for me. Butler to the Wolves was a surprise. So, I mean, it's it's made the NBA so much more interesting for this season. And, uh, you know, even if the Warriors do end up winning, at least there was some drama along the way. Like Aaron said, I am the resident Rockets fan on this podcast. And like you, I'm really interested to see how the Chris Paul-James Harden tandem works out for them. Something else I'm really interested to see from them is their added versatility on the wing this season, especially defensively after picking up PJ Tucker and Luke Richard Baumute to go along with Trevor Ariza, really giving Mike D'Antoni a lot of different lineup possibilities when challenging teams like the Warriors or the Thunder. What do you make of the options that those guys afford them now? Yeah, I think they made uh, some really good additions this offseason. Uh, the two you mentioned, uh, Mbamute and P.J. Tucker, I mean, that's that's exactly what they needed. Those are, those are guys that, that can defend, they're versatile, they can guard multiple positions, but they're also, you know, somewhat capable of knocking down the corner three, which is what the Rockets are looking for offensively. The problem with the Rockets is they're so dependent on this, this high-octane offense, you know, launches a lot of threes, Harden's just doing whatever Harden does, and now they have Chris Paul. but you need defenders, but they can't afford to get defenders that also can't shoot. So hopefully these guys can make three-pointers. Um, if they can and the offense can sustain itself while they're on the court, that's going to be a big deal because they're, they're going to be able to hang with the Warriors for you know at least a good chunk of the game. Now, Harden's had his issues in the playoffs, and obviously, like you said, Harden and Chris Paul are going to have to work out their dynamic, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to do it. Those are two pros. Those are two guys who love to share the ball. Uh, we're not talking about two ball hogs here. So I think Chris Paul will fit right into that culture. You know, he specifically wanted to go to the Rockets, which is always a good sign. It wasn't like he was dealt there unwillingly. So um, I, I have a lot of hope for the Rockets this year. Can they beat the Warriors? We'll see. But uh, I, I think they're probably the best shot out, West. 
And speaking again of a team with a new dynamic to work out, we've mentioned the new OKC Thunder Big 3 already a few times this show. I think it may be a little bit more difficult for those three to coexist with Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony all being more relatively ball-dominant players in their previous roles. I assume at this stage in his career, it would be best for the Thunder if Carmelo were to take more of an ancillary role to the other two, but I'm not sure that's something he'd be happy with. So my question to you is, what's your prediction for how those three will rank in terms of usage? And if different, what would be best for the Thunder? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a tough mix of players there. So what what I'm hearing, you know, when when Paul George went there, everybody, hey, he's a he's a he's a perfect guy. You know, he doesn't need the ball. He can play off the ball, all this stuff. But I mean, Paul George had a had a really high usage rate last year. I think he was 20th in the league, and Melo was 21st. So Paul George has actually had a higher usage rate and more touches than Melo last year. Um, and we all we all know what Russ does on the court, and uh, he had a hard enough time, you know, playing with Durant. And then when Durant left, we saw the madness that happened last year with just a, you know, career, you know, NBA record usage rate of like 40% or something like that, which is insane. And that's, it's hard to just turn that off. Um, I think it's going to take a while. I think these guys are all professionals. I think it's going to be very difficult. I think that, um, Paul George is going to have the hardest time adjusting because I think he's going to be the one that's expected to, to take fewer shots. Um, Mello, we hope at this stage in his career, uh, understands that he's not the number one guy or even the number two guy in this case, but you never know, you know, and these, these are two guys that can opt out of their contracts, Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. So if they're, you know, they get 20 games into the season and they don't like playing with Russ, there's a, there's some operation shutdown potential there. Yeah. It'll at least provide us with some interesting storylines, a lot of stuff to pay attention to. Last season, a common refrain was about how the Warriors ruined basketball by creating this super dominant team. And as you said, it's refreshing to see that their Western Conference rivals have all stepped up to try and challenge them this year. One team that we haven't really talked about yet because they're dealing with some question marks going into the season is the San Antonio Spurs, but it does seem like every single season after we write them off in the early season, they prove us wrong time and time again. Are we counting the Spurs out too early again this year? Yeah, that's that's kind of the the repeated drum over the last few years, right? This is uh, this is the year the the Spurs are finally going to start regressing. They just don't have it. And then they win sixty games. So um, the biggest concern for them is Kawhi. They need to get him healthy. They announced he's going to miss the opener. This is this is a little troubling since this is an injury that that happened last year. Um, a little confusing in some ways, but uh, you know the Spurs handle their their stars with kid gloves. So uh, it could just be a precaution, but. That's the offense. That's the defense. You know, that, that is the guy that makes the Spurs go. So if there's anything that's, that he's dealing with long term, that could seriously affect them. That being said, Greg Popovich, I mean, we know his track record speaks for itself. Um, you'd have to assume that if Kawhi is healthy, they're, you know, pencil him in for 55 wins again. If Kawhi is not healthy, honestly, I think they're still a 50 win team. When we get to the playoffs, we saw, you know, everybody points to the first game when they were just blowing the Warriors out of the water. And then Kawhi gets hurt with, you know, Zaza's, was it intentional? Was it not uh, ankle injury? But that was one half of one game. You know, I, I think over the course of a seven game series, 
even the Spurs, as well coached as they are, as disciplined as they are, uh, I, I still don't see if they have the potential to be a, a healthy Warriors team. That's always the asterisk. If if Durant or Curry gets hurt, we're, you know, maybe we're talking about something different. But for now, mm-hmm. uh, I think the Spurs are always uh, they're always a threat. But at this point, I don't know if they have enough firepower to to hang with the Warriors. We've spent the bulk of the episode so far focusing on the top of the West, and you never really know until the season unfolds, but it's looking like it, it'll be the Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, and Thunder in some order. But there are a number of up-and-coming young teams in the West that look to make a splash potentially in the playoffs. And then there are also a handful of Western Conference playoff teams, at least three or four, that could potentially take a step back if you had to pick right now who are you targeting for the last four spots in the western conference playoffs i think that's a really interesting tier to look at yeah this that, that's uh that's a big question mark and you know like you said all the excitement over the summer we're thinking about the best teams but i mean the, the west is just stacked it's so loaded and uh so like you said the warriors rockets spurs thunder kind of pencil those guys in in some order in the top 4 most likely um after that there's there's a lot of teams in the mix right now i'm going with uh i really like the clippers this could totally backfire i like what they've done you know they had to get rid of chris paul they bring in gallinari the big thing with them is health if blake gets hurt if gallinari gets hurt these are two guys that have a serious injury history then, uh, you know, they could be in trouble. They could end up as a 10th seed or something like that. Uh, so they're one team I got in. I have the Blazers in. Uh, I believe in Nurkic. Nurkic is, is my guy. Um, if he can stay healthy with Lillard and McCollum, I think they got, they got playoffs written all over them. The Nuggets are another team. They have to take a step forward, but I think bringing Millsap was just huge for them. That young talent is already on the verge of kind of exploding. Nikola Jokic is one of the most exciting, fun players to watch in the league. He's a league pass guy, must-watch TV. I think they get in. The Wolves, a lot of people are saying that, you know, they're they're going to be a top-five seed or maybe even crack that top four, but I, I just don't see it. I think they got a lot of work to do, but I do think uh, bringing in Jimmy Butler – is going to create some accountability for these young guys. I think I think Towns and Wiggins are going to have to start playing some defense because or else they're going to hear it from not only Thibodeau but also Jimmy Butler. So I think the Wolves get in. And uh, is that it? Yeah, I think that's. I think that's eight. Too bad there aren't more <laughs> yeah. spots. It's tough. I was going to say I want to keep going. I got more teams. <laughs> yeah, it's an exciting conference, and all these star players migrated to the Western Conference. It's going to be tough to make the playoffs if you're any one of those teams. I want to focus a little more on the Timberwolves because so many analysts are very high on the Timberwolves' chances. And you're a little less so, even though you're picking them to make the playoffs. I kind of liken their situation coming into the year as that of the Jazz last season. There are a lot of differences, but the similarities I see are that they were both young teams with a solid young core, and they had just added some solid veterans. Now, of course, the Timberwolves added a two-way star in Jimmy Butler who's in the prime of his career and the Jazz added Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw for that veteran presence but I see some similarities there another difference is that the Jazz were already a solid defensive team even though the Timberwolves are coached by Thibodeau they've been trying to establish their defensive identity for a long time so 
the hope there has to be that Jimmy Butler brings that defensive grit and leadership. Is that the main thing that's giving you pause? Just the defense, the defensive consistency. What's giving you pause with regard to the Timberwolves? Yeah, it's it's mostly the defense, but it's it's also how how these guys are going to fit together. Um, you know, Towns is a guy who needs the ball and wants the ball. He he sees himself as the alpha dog. That was clear during his rookie season. He snatched that from Wiggins right away. Wiggins is another guy who needs the ball to be to be effective. Uh, he's not a great off the ball shooter. Um, he's, he does a lot of post ups, a lot of penetration. And then you know what, what's Jimmy Butler going to do? He's not a he's not a terrific three point shooter. He's he's a solid one. He's not great. Um, he needs the ball too. So th- there's a lot of offensive questions for me. I do like the additions they made with Taj Gibson and Jeff Teague. Uh, Rubio wasn't working out there. Um, I think Jeff Teague's a good veteran point guard to bring in with those guys. And I think Taj Gibson's not only going to provide the leadership, but he's going to be kind of a, a steadying influence who you know is going to play defense and rebound, which is something they're going to need. Yeah, but, you know, to me, like you said, the defense is, is what's giving me pause. Um, I really hope that Wiggins and Towns really get on board with what Butler and, and Thibodeau are going to bring because I want them to be good. I just it's, I'm having a hard time seeing it. You touched on this a little bit in your earlier answer about the Clippers, but I see them as a team with a lot of separation between their best possible outcome and their worst with so much left in flux after having traded away Chris Paul, let go of Luke Richard, Bob Mute, and JJ Redick, and also having replaced Jamal Crawford with essentially the new and improved version in Lou Williams. You said that if things go wrong, you could envision them falling to the 10 seed, are there any other X factors you can identify other than injury concerns that could determine whether they get closer to their best case scenario as opposed to that outcome? Well, we're, we're going to see if Doc can really coach. Um, Chris Paul has been the floor leader, the general, uh, the guy who brings it all together for him over the last, you know, however many years he's been there. Now they don't have Chris Paul. They have uh, this weird kind of offense defense tandem of Patrick Beverly and, and Mios Teodosic, who is an awesome, exciting player to watch. If you guys, you know, listening, haven't watched him, you need to, to pull off some highlights. This guy throws some amazing passes. Um, but that, that's a tough, uh, you know, point guard situation to deal with. Uh, they can't play both of them at the same time, most likely. I mean, they might. Um, and then Austin Rivers is starting two guard, which is, you know, a problem in and of itself. I think Blake Griffin's going to have to take on a lot of playmaking responsibilities. Um, can he handle that? We'll see. Um, he's, he's great at it for his size but can he be a guy who you play through like a you know like a ben simmons or or a paul george or something like that and what happens to deandre i mean he's used to catching those lobs chris paul is responsible for a large percentage of his points um over the last few years and has helped turn him into an all-star it's just we'll see it's like i said it's it's confusing i i grew up in la i watched the clippers for a long time and and this is this is one of the more confusing teams i've seen in a long time Yeah, and in your previous answer about who's likely to make the bottom of the Western Conference playoffs, a couple notable omissions. The Utah Jazz, who last year looked like they were finally almost ready to join the elite class after a long, steady process of rebuilding and year-on-year improvement. And then also the Memphis Grizzlies, who people may not know actually have the third longest active streak of making the postseason behind the Spurs and the Atlanta Hawks. Do you see this as the end of the grit and grind era for the Grizzlies, especially now that Zach Randolph and Tony Allen are gone? And what do you think are the options going forward for them with so much money committed in the next three seasons to 
Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol, and Chandler Parsons. Yeah, uh, grit and grind's over. It's done. Uh, when they brought in David Fisdale, that was, that was the signal that they were ready to, to end it. They finally got rid of, uh, Zach Randolph and, and Tony Allen, the grind father, and they, uh, officially waved goodbye to that era. Uh, I do have the Grizzlies out. They were my first team out. They were the one I had the hardest time, uh, putting out of the playoffs because I just think with, with, I think Fisdale's a great coach. And I think when you have Conley and Gasol and that system and, and guys who are unselfish, um, they're going to get wins. The problem is it's, it's the West there. There's a lot of tough games in the West. There's no easy teams except for the Phoenix Suns. And, uh, the Grizzlies are just going to have a hard time. When you look at that bench, they, they just have, they have no firepower coming off the bench. You're talking about Wade Baldwin, you know, Aaron Harrison, guys like this. Uh, it's, it's going to be tough for them to score, uh, when Conley and Gasol aren't on the court together. So that, that's one of the reasons I have them out. Um, moving forward, I think I, I, I wrote in my Grizzlies preview that you have to, you have to give it at least one more year. I mean, I've heard rumblings of, you know, if it doesn't work this season, you got to trade Gasol, you got to trade Conley. I don't see that. I, I, like I said, I believe in Fisdale. I believe in these two guys. Um, I think, uh, the Chandler Parsons situation is just, uh, it's really sad all around. He was a great player when he was healthy. Um, they're saying he's healthy now, but the preseason indicates otherwise. He hasn't played more than 18 minutes. Uh, his last two games, he was scoreless in like 25 minutes or something like that. There's real concerns there. Uh, and there's just so much money invested in him. That's an untradeable contract. So it could lead to problems down the road, but I say, let, let's see what we got this year and let's, let's run it back next year and see what we can do. There are a number of questions we want to run through, but feel free to give some supporting arguments you don't it doesn't have to be rapid fire we have some time the first thing i wanted to ask you though is the hardest team you think to predict going into the season is it the clippers you mentioned that earlier that it's it's kind of tough to to project or do you have a a difficult time with another team too yeah, I, th- I think the Clippers are definitely up there. Um, I'd also say the Jazz, who Lauren mentioned, uh, they, they could go either way for me. They're a uh, great coach, great system. They play defense, which is always going to keep you in games. But I just, I just don't know where the offense comes from on that team. Everybody's expecting Rodney Hood to step up. I don't know if he's that type of player. Uh, Dante Axum getting hurt. Uh, he was supposed to take a big leap forward this year, and now that's going to be delayed. Uh, Rudy Gobert can't be an offensive linchpin, really. So um, I do like Rubio down there, but I, I think they're just going to have a really hard time scoring. But at the same time, uh, th- with that defense, they could end up making the playoffs. No 25-point-per-game average for Rudy Gobert? <laughs> you know, I, 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 wish, I hope he does. I wish him all the best. I really like Gobert. Tremendous defensive player. I love the way he plays, but I don't know if he's got 25 points in him. I don't think anyone's ever asked that question before. I, I kind of <laughs> just wanted to be the first. Yeah. I, I was really interested when you're talking about the Clippers as a Clippers fan. I have so many question marks. I really wanted Chris Paul to stay, but I'm starting to be optimistic about this season with the, the passing vision of, of Teodosic. And I think Blake Griffin can just take it to that superstar level if he remains healthy. I'm just skeptical about the injuries. Not, not as much with Griffin, but Gallinari. Um, but I do like how quickly the Clippers recovered. I think that that was their best offseason transaction-wise in a long time. And by necessity, I just think they recovered so quickly 
after losing one of the league's best point guards. Yeah, I mean, and they've been looking for a small forward for, for six years now, and they finally got theirs, but Chris Paul had to leave in order for it to happen. So, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think, I think personally, I know you wanted to see Chris Paul stay. I, th- I think it was time for him to go. I think it was time, no, well, not necessarily him. I think it was time for one of those guys to go, and it just happened to be Chris Paul. Um, it might but, have been the fan in me. I, th- I think <laughs> looking at it rationally, you can only make excuses for for so long. Yes, they did have really untimely injuries, but it, it, they they never got to a Western Conference Finals. There had to be some issue that was bigger than just the injuries. Yeah, and you hear rumblings. I mean, they, they, these guys didn't get along. There was there was something weird. There's something sour in the water down there between Doc, Paul, uh, Blake, and DeAndre. There there was just something going on in that mix that wasn't working, and I think that just became too evident. My Clippers interest kind of ruined the the semi quasi I guess rapid fire, but I'll get us back on track. Still focusing on the Western Conference. Is there a coach on the hot seat that you think someone who has the least margin for error this season to succeed? Oh, it's it's Alvin Gentry. Um, he's he's first coach out. Uh, I can almost guarantee it. It's funny, we haven't even mentioned the Pelicans in this entire podcast, which kind of tells you about their state of affairs down there. You know, coming from Sacramento, I'm not a huge DeMarcus Cousins fan. You watch that guy day in and day out, and uh, you see what kind of effect he has on his teammates, his attitude. is uh, I mean, obviously incredibly talented. You always have to put that in when you talk about DeMarcus Cousins, but uh, it's hard to see him in a winning situation down there. And uh, over the summer, the uh, uh, Pelicans ownership didn't exactly give gentry a nod of confidence and they basically said uh you know uh we're gonna keep him around until we find something better so uh, i think gentry's the first coach out what about rookies that you're most excited to watch and if you don't mind we'd prefer non-lottery obviously a lot of people talk about the lottery picks and that's pretty easy so we're trying to make it a little bit more challenging yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I was going to say Donovan Mitchell, but he actually did sneak into the lottery. I just want to get it out there that I love <laughs> Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I love him coming into the draft. Um, but uh, the non-lottery guys, Kyle Kuzma, you know, we, we I had to watch a lot of Lonzo Ball this summer um, and in the preseason because of the interest. But Kyle Kuzma just stands out as a guy that's, that's going to be a player in this league. He might even end up as a starter uh, sooner rather than later. He's exciting. Uh, I think during one of the telecasts on ESPN, Mark Jackson, or, uh, yeah, Mark Jackson said this guy can do it, do it all. I mean, he, he doesn't have a flaw. That's a little extreme, but he's a good player. And I think he's definitely one to watch someone who they got, uh, with the 27th pick, which they got in that D'Angelo Russell, Brooke Lopez trade. So just, just great offseason by the Lakers. And I think, uh, he was a huge pickup for them. And then finally, before I cede to Lauren, we're looking for a player that you expect to make a really big leap, leap, whether it's just from mediocre to good, good to great, great to elite. Anyone that stands out to you there? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of guys. One guy I really think uh, could make a huge leap forward this year is DeJounte Murray on the Spurs. Um, Tony Parker's going to be hurt. He's a really young, exciting, athletic player, uh, super long. He fits in the Spurs system. With any spur, he's not going to put up huge stats, but that's not necessarily how you're going to uh, gauge the improvement for him this year. I think he's going to become more of a floor leader. Um, he will take on a bigger scoring load. And, uh, you know, I really expect to see good things out of him this year. 
It's been a pleasure previewing the Western Conference with you here today, Colin, getting us and our listeners ready for the 2017-18 NBA season. Before we let you go, I just want to get some closing thoughts from you on Lonzo Ball and what we can expect from him both on and off the court. You know, Lonzo is a funny case for me. Uh, coming out of college, I, I did not see. I, I actually got to see Lonzo in high school at Chino Hills uh, when I was working with Max Preps. And uh, he was obviously head and shoulders above the rest. But, uh, you know, uh, he didn't stand out as a, as a number two pick type of talent to me. Obviously, in college, he proved me wrong. But he, you know, when he got to to the Lakers, I thought, you know, this guy's not going to be an impact player. Then over summer league, I see it. You know, he he moves the ball. He's not a crazy athletic, but I think you know this guy's just gonna figure it out. When I saw him in preseason, it's it's a different story now. So I'm going up and down on Lonzo. Um, I do think he'll be good. I I never thought he wasn't gonna be good. Do I think he's gonna be great? I don't know. Uh, the off the court stuff, I'm not worried. I mean, Lonzo's been dealing with this since he was a little boy. Um, his dad's a loudmouth. Everybody knows that. He's gonna say ridiculous things. Um, as you can tell, he's already quieted down a little bit more than he, he, you know, he was speaking all the time over the summer. I think every single day we had a new LeVar Ball said, you know, story. So he's already quieted down a little bit. I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I, I think deep down he is an attention hog, but I think he wants the best for his sons. And uh, I don't think he's going to get in the way of Lonzo. Um, I think Lonzo's might have some trouble this year just because the Lakers aren't good. And uh, I think he needs to play around good players to be successful. Thank you so much, Colin, for taking the time to talk with us today. I think we're all ready for the season to start, so good luck and thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun.